Hello and welcome back to Talks with Terry. I am Terry and today I figured we could go over yet another topic that affects literally millions of Americans and has since become a hot button issue these days, especially in the midst of our much depreciating Parappa the Rappa. We are talking today about the minimum wage here in America. Specifically, I want to go over just a brief history of the minimum wage and how we got to this point. And then we will go into the arguments that people have been having over whether to increase the wage or let it stay the same. The pot is starting to heat up, ladies and gentlemen, so let's get started. Back in the late 1800s and early 1900s, a lot of working class people had serious gripes about the working conditions of the time. Industrialization didn't exactly prioritize workers' rights or well-being, leaving many people toiling in sweatshops for long hours of the day. A lot of countries were having arguments about how workers should be helped, and some of the first actions to help were taken in places like Australia. Now, Americans would try to get minimum wage set up for themselves, but many people in power would shut these efforts down, even leading to Supreme Court cases stating that minimum wages were technically unconstitutional. Now, many of these early efforts were actually spearheaded by women workers who formed early organizations and unions such as the National Consumer League led by Florence Kelly and the Women's Trade Union League of Massachusetts under the leadership of Elizabeth Evans. They took up causes of minimum wage legislation in places like Massachusetts at the time. Now, there were some laws and actions in place that would protect the rights of mainly women and children workers at the time, of course, before things like child labor was phased out entirely. Uh, tons of advocating organiza organization and strikes also helped push the issue of a minimum wage to the forefront. Now, while some states would implement some form of minimum wage for women and children workers, federal minimum wages were still up for debate. It wasn't until the Great Depression and the New Deal brought about by FDR that a federal minimum wage could be implemented. Though this action was originally met with opposition, it eventually stuck, and in 1938 the minimum wage was officially established pursuant and part of the Fair Labor Standards Act, this time at a uniform rate of 25 cents per hour, which is equivalent to $4.00. 54 cents in 2019's money, according to Wikipedia. Since then, there have been many tweaks and changes to the minimum wage that I am really unqualified to go over, but basically the minimum wage uh, has slowly increased based on factors like economic inflation and productivity. However, this trend seemed to stop around the 80s or the 70s, depending on who you talk to. I was able to find the unable to find the exact reason for this, but most people tend to blame the Reagan administration for uncoupling the federal minimum wage from productivity and inflation as part of trickle-down economics. Of course, we collectively have enough brain cells to know that economics doesn't trickle down like we thought it did. It's why you never hear the phrase, we build this all from the top down. Anyway, since the minimum wage since then the minimum wage has remained at about 7.25 an hour. Now for the sake of scale, if we had kept with our previous trend of growth with inflation, 
Americans would be making around $22 an hour in minimum wage, which is very much over the $15 minimum wage that a lot of people have been proposing. Now, all these decades and we still haven't seen much change in how we do things. Even after a recession, we didn't see a lasting need to change our minimum wage. Now we are in yet another recession and a global pangea, and people wonder why we need a higher minimum wage. Shouldn't what we have be enough to survive on? Not really. Even before COVID, people making minimum wage were struggling to keep themselves above water. A lot of people already take multiple jobs in order to make ends meet. The fact that the government has asked the most vulnerable, vulnerable Americans to live off way less than $5,000 in handouts for over the year of this pandemic hasn't helped either, especially when a lot of those Americans have been our most essential frontline workers keeping everything going. Now, for this next portion, we're going to go over some of the pros and cons of, wasing, of raising the minimum wage and what we might be in store for. Now, most of this research does come from a site called minimumwage.procon.org. It comes from the procon.org, which I believe has since been acquired by um, Britannica. I think that's the same company that makes the Encyclopedia Britannica, but I'm unsure. Now, first of all, even though the data says we should be making $22 in inflation, most people have settled on $15 being the new bare minimum in order for Americans to survive, and legislators seem to want to make the changes incremental instead of instantly changing wages from around $8 to $15. So basically, instead of going from $7.25 to $15 overnight, it would be more of a year-based thing of saying this year it goes from $7.25 up to, say, $10 maybe, 8 to $10, and then the next year it would go up from about 10 to say 11 or $12, and so on and so on, and then eventually we would get to the $15, that way we can ease a bunch of people into the idea, and we're not basically uh, left with too much to handle at first. Uh, it's a very smart plan, but a lot of people still have still take issue with it and that is the reason why it has repeatedly been shot down even just this week now there the next argument is job creation and economic growth so the pro of this is that it will stimulate the economy and job growth basically if you give people more money uh, then they will have more money to spend that's economics 101 if you have enough money to meet your basic needs and then some, that extra money will be put back into the economy by either buying more or spending money on more luxuries like fast food and outside activities and novelties. Give people more money to spend and they will be more open to spend it. It's pretty simple stuff, really, um, when you think about it, but um, it's still a concept that a lot of us seem to have trouble grasping. Now. Some detractors of this idea saying that increasing the minimum wage will cause businesses to either close or lay off a lot of employees. Now, I kept seeing arguments on this website while I was researching, and it's basically the same kind of argument worded in a bunch of different ways. 
People argue that having to pay people more means that businesses will either cut staff in order to get out of paying them. It also says that small businesses would be unable to keep up with the increased in costs and be forced to either fire staff or close down. And there's a whole lot of other things that we can go over there. Uh, These are all valid arguments, by the way, but they all fall under the same net of a solution, I think. You have to make laws and regulations to protect workers and small businesses for more corporate interests. Uh, For example, there were some people who are now proposing this idea of basically you fine a corporate entity or a company, whatever it may be, you have them pay more uh, in, say, taxes or fines or whatever if they are not paying their workers at least $15 an hour in minimum wage. And for the ones who are already doing that, um, they basically have to just um, they basically just have to pay their workers over $15 minimum wage. And by doing that, they might be getting some sort of a tax credit, tax cut, something along those lines. So people have already kind of looked into this idea. And basically, again, as long as you regulate it and have rules and laws in place, it creates a stopgap and then some of these things uh, won't happen. Um, So anyway, protections aside, there are other factors that we really need to talk about. First of all is automation. Automation is already causing lots of jobs to be lost anyway, and raising the minimum wage would likely just increase the amount of automation that large corporations and businesses would have because instead of having a dozen or so uh, frontline workers that you now have to pay $15 an hour, wouldn't it make sense to just put all that money into developing machines that can do it for free um, and then cut all those jobs out? It's Again, it's economics that a bunch of places have already been implementing Uh, automation into and that's where a lot of job loss has gone into so but if you had rules and regulations in place to discourage actions like uh, automating or cutting staff uh, you could help people keep their jobs and get paid more for them so why not offer again why not offer some sort of tax credit or deduction for the amount of human workers you have That way, people get to keep their jobs, corporations don't have to lose too much of their precious money, and everyone gets paid what they want, for the most part. As for small businesses going out of businesses, I do sympathize with their plights. And again, it would really help to have those social programs, those laws and regulations in place, so that small businesses are not left at the mercy of big corporations like they repeatedly have been. I sympathize with the plights of small businesses, and I want to support them as much as I can, and I want them to succeed as much as possible because they're the only thing keeping us from this oligopoly of, I think that's how you say it, oligopoly of all these big corporations just, you know, sucking us dry. But, however, if I could put on my capitalist capitalist tie for just one second, I know I don't like wearing it, but... In free market capitalism, and this is just uh, this is just another thing that they would teach you in, say, an economics class when it, you talk about free market capitalism, if you don't have the ability to offer your goods or your services without paying your workers a living wage, 
or without going deep into the red, then you're really not meant to survive at all. And it sounds harsh to say, and I'd hate to have to say it, but capitalists say this all the time. It's a game of survival of the fittest, and competition is king, at least on the surface it is. Again, if we had more protections and support structures in place for small businesses to thrive without these concerns, everyone would benefit from it. But unfortunately, we don't have a lot of those in there. And also, those rules of survival of the fittest are often twisted by those at the very top. I mean, when you think about it, when, st when stuff like Wall Street or the big banks or the airports are going bankrupt and then they need bailouts, they shouldn't have gotten those bailouts because under the sort of ideology of free market capitalism, they should have just gone under and from their ashes... There should have been people to take their place, uh, better airlines who can do their jobs better, and uh, thus, you know, the competition fizzles out, and then new people take their place, and competition starts again between those entities, but that just never happens because uh, we have this concept in our heads of places being too big to fail, and, st and so instead of letting them fail, which might actually be beneficial, we... Uh, very fearfully throw money at them to prop themselves up and then usually they just kind of take the money and run uh, or do other things but that again that could be a, another topic for another day if I want to keep getting political about this stuff so another thing we could talk about with the minimum wage is its effect on poverty so a lot of people have sort of gone back and forth about what it can mean for poverty. Now, poverty would... Now, one of the pros that people say is poverty would be reduced overall by increasing the minimum wage. Again, according to this section of ProCon.org, um, a 2014 Congressional Budget Office report said that increasing the minimum wage to $9 would lift about 300,000 people out of poverty. That's only like a less than $2 difference and 300,000 people would be lifted out of poverty. And then an increase to $10.10 would roughly lift 900,000 people out of poverty. And another 2013 study by University of Massachusetts at Amherst Econom Economist Arindrach Dubé, PhD, I'm sorry for butchering your name, uh, but they estimated that increasing the minimum wage to $10.10 is, quote, projected to reduce the number of non-elderly living in poverty by around 4.6 million or by 6.8 million when longer-term effects are accounted for, end quote. And that's a pretty significant difference, and again, when you really break it down, that's only... Uh, it's only about a $3 increase to the minimum wage. This isn't even touching what we're saying for the $15 minimum wage. Now, of course, uh, these reports are pretty old, one's from 2013, one's from 2014, um, and so a lot has changed, and likely uh, inflation and productivity has gone up, and that's why some people are uh, touching more on the $15 minimum wage but still, even that, I bet even if you changed it up to a $10 an hour, it probably wouldn't lift nearly as much as this report is saying, but it would 
definitely help a lot of people. So again, you give more people money to live on, they will be able to, quote, pull themselves up by their bootstraps and stay out of poverty. It won't turn poor people into millionaires overnight, but it will lift those in poverty closer to the middle class life that we've been peddling as the American dream for a while now. Now, on the flip side of things, the, ar the other argument is that it will increase poverty. If you pay people more money, they will either be laid off from their jobs by bosses or by bosses like we talked about before, or their hours will be cut down. I'll admit this is surely possible, but keep in mind that other developed countries pay their workers around $15 or more in wages like this, and they work way less hours than us. Look at Germany. Their economy is very strong when it comes to a European economy. They have a lot more social structures in place. They're able to pay their workers a fair and living wage, and they basically work only four days a week instead of five, and sometimes even less than that in some sectors, I believe. So it's definitely possible, but again, there's a lot more work that goes into it than just going into the minimum wage. So, but if you pay people more and cut their hours, well, it's fine as long as they're getting paid more. But, you know, the thing is for a lot of people, at the rate we're going now, they could be, their hours could be almost doubled, but that really wouldn't help them a whole lot. It's not like that would get them from living in a trailer to living in a $600,000 house or anything. It's not going to lift them all out of debt or any of that, even if you increase their hours. And of course, there's only so many hours in a week that someone can work without having to neglect things like sleep or eating or just taking care of themselves and their loved ones. So that's another thing to consider. I think it would make more sense to have you work less for more money than it is to work more for less money. So anyway, it's also said that if you uh, raise the minimum wage, it raises the price of production, obviously. You have to pay people more, and by doing that, the prices of your services or products might have to increase a bit so any costs of goods will rise um, now all evidence i've found say that prices would increase definitely but not as much as people like to believe people like to believe that you know by increasing the minimum wage you're taking like a burger that's worth two dollars and then all of a sudden it becomes like eight to ten dollars or you're taking a $10 burrito and all of a sudden it's going to $30. Um, a, lot, a lot of that's being said, but most of the evidence only points to really less than a dollar's worth of increase. Um, I actually found a website that uh, shows all the menu prices and stuff of um, certain, certain restaurants, especially fast food and restaurants. And you can go city by city, state by state, even country by country to sort of break them down. And basically what I saw is that, the, again, the difference is only a few cents by places that already have a $15 minimum wage implemented versus places that have uh, lower uh, wages or are only at the federal minimum. Um and so it really, like, it really doesn't, that argument really doesn't hold up. I mean, you can compare 
a place like I think um, uh, Montgomery, Alabama, that uh, operates on a minimum wage, and then compare that to say Washington D.C. that has a fifteen dollar minimum wage, um, and the price difference is again it's only a few cents. It's really not even a full dollar. I believe so that argument really doesn't hold up now another argument they say is that uh, landlords will increase rent and in similar assumptions now I can agree to something like that it's something that I think a lot of land landlords would do which is again why you need to have regulations in place so that things like price hikes don't take place the best case scenario is that some landlords will keep rents reasonable and create more competition between rental units. Either way, it's just another symptom that should not detract from the bigger malady that we are dealing with. Now, there are so, so many other things that are going. First of all, there are people that say uh, one of the pros is that it will improve uh, productivity and economic growth, like we've said. Productivity has continuously gone up in recent decades, but the minimum wage just hasn't kept up. It hasn't kept up with productivity or inflation. And there are even some people who argue that by just paying workers a better wage, a living wage, so that they all of their bases are covered, um, it actually increases their morale. It makes them happier to go to work, and their quality of work actually goes up and up. I mean, think about it. Uh, you could be stuck in a pizza delivery job that only pays uh, minimum wage, and technically on paper they might actually pay you less than minimum wage just because they expect tips out of you. Um, but anyway, you could be stuck in that job, and you know I'm doing all this work for let's just say minimum wage for the sake of argument of seven twenty-five, eight twenty-five, depending on your state. You go through that, but then, you know, by doing that, if you have other responsibilities such as paying for your own rent, paying for your car, paying for school, anything like that, it's going to be it's gonna be very bad on your psyche and on your morale to go, man, I'm working all of these hours at this job, but it's not going anywhere. I'm barely making enough to keep my head above water, and I'm starting to rack up all this debt that I won't be able to pay off with this job either and in the hopes that I might find something better down the road. But if you have a minimum wage job that can cover your rent, can cover your food and costs, can cover all that stuff, then you really, you're going to level out in your morale or your morale is going to go through the roof because, hey, maybe the job isn't so bad as long as you're getting paid a bunch for it, you know? I... Back when I did pizza delivery, it wasn't a bad gig. My coworkers were fine. They were all uh, pretty cool to work with. It was uh, it was a nice gig to be able to, you know, work work there and be able to drive around, listen to my music on my way to drop something off. And uh, a lot of people that you meet were kind of interesting or nice or. It, it wasn't that bad of a gig as far as a minimum wage job was going, but again, I ended up getting rid of that job because I found something that, first of all, was just more fun. 
because that's what led me to my wedding DJ job, but also that wedding DJ job paid a hell of a lot more for one night's of work than it did for, you know, two full weeks of, almost two full weeks of working part-time at that um, pizza delivery job. So again, you could, you know, increasing the minimum wage is probably going to just, it makes people happy. Uh, It'll make people happier. They might actually work harder because again, their work is actually paying the bills. And so why wouldn't you work your hardest for something that is truly um, paying for everything? Um, And if people, you know, quit their minimum wage jobs and go somewhere else after the minimum wage has been increased, it's fine. These minimum wage jobs shouldn't be shackled uh, to people. They shouldn't keep people in place. They're not supposed to work those jobs for their entire lives. Those jobs are really meant as sort of a stepping stone into some higher career path. But Terry, who's going to deliver all the food? Who's going to make all the food? Who's going to keep the lights on? All that stuff. Honestly, that those positions should be going to... Again, either people who are sort of in between or looking for extra work and who don't mind working in positions like that, or you give them to the youngest. You give them to the teenagers in high school, the 16-year-olds, the 17, 18, all the way up to the young 20-year-olds who they're trying to pay the, they're trying to learn how work, how the working life is. They're trying to get that experience. They're trying to make that money. So they have some spending cash or that they can save up for things they really need, like uh, a better car or something along the lines of paying for college, let's just say that, or even going to a trade school. Again, it's just a step, it's just a stepping stone. And as long as as long as life in general hasn't been thrown completely topsy turvy, you're always going to have a steady stream of of people growing up into those positions so by the time you know one person is like hey i found a job at a better place so i'm going to go there then another person is likely going to come in and say well i need a job and so i'll work there and so you give those minimum wage jobs to the youngers or the people who don't mind working in those minimum wage jobs or who maybe even find it to be their calling which I do think there are some people that find enjoyment in that. And then you basically get the unhappy workers out of there and they get to go chase their dreams and the people who are there because they just need a J-O-B, they get to stay there, they get to make money, and they get to run everything. So, and again, and that's kind of based off this other thing that people are said, well, it's going to hurt a bunch of people, a bunch of younger people, specifically teenagers who are looking for work. Because if you're 30-something and all your bills can be paid by delivering pizzas, well, why wouldn't you stay delivering pizzas? That might be a valid argument, but again, if if everything is covered for you and you're able to actually pay all your bills and keep your head above water and even save up some money, then you're finally going to put yourself in a position to say, do I want to be delivering pizzas for the rest of my life or do I actually want to go out and do something you have a bit more freedom to go out and choose and so you go out and choose and then there's that vacancy and then again it gets filled with someone who needs that job for something like experience or extra money like say a teenager 
So I don't think that argument really, you know, I don't think that argument really holds up that says it's bad for uh, it's bad for any teenagers that are in um, the working class or anything like that. Another thing is that it will disadvantage low skill workers because you know you're gonna fire all the lowest skilled workers and then the people who are moderately skilled I guess would be um, paid a lot more. Uh, what does this say? For an employer's perspective, people with the lowest skill levels cannot justify higher wages. A uh, study by some people found that minimum wage increases result in reduced average monthly incomes for low-skilled workers, 100 degrees less during the first year following minimum wage increase, and 50 over the next two years due to a reduction in... What does that say? Do a reduction in employment. Uh, James Dorn, PhD, senior fellow at the Cato Institute, stated that a 10% increase in the minimum wage leads to a 1 to 3% decrease in employment of low skilled workers in the short term and to a larger decrease in the long run. Uh, some other professors stated that the minimum wage were to increase to 1010. The jobs that presently pay 725 had to pay 1010, then workers who previously would not have been considered for those jobs because of their ability to earn eight, nine, or ten dollars an hour will now uh, consider them. So basically, by saying you're paying more for, if you're paying more higher wages, then it shifts around the skill gaps for someone to get. Again, this is minimum wage we're talking about. We're not talking about just shifting around everything for everyone at the top levels by raising by raising the minimum wage to fifteen dollars you're not going to take you're, there's not going to be a low skilled worker who's saying well now i'm going to go up and try to be and instantly lock in the chief engineer job at boeing that's not what's going to happen it's going to happen you it's still a low skilled job for the most part and those people are going to go into those low-skilled jobs as low-skilled workers, and they're going to gain a skill. That's how that works. If you're low-skill and you can't get a job, then the system is broken because how are you supposed to gain those skills? By just having an apprenticeship at the age of 25 or something? Like, the logic just really isn't there, I think. Um that really was just the front for a pyramid scheme. Now, let me share with you guys some other things that I learned from this experience, so hopefully you can learn from them. First of all, we tried to do some digging afterwards as to where this company's job offering came from. Funny enough, I came across it. If you go on Glassdoor, you can actually find, it says, you know, company A whatever. And I was like, okay, that's the group. However, when I first looked at them, back when I was in, back when I had just left the job, they were actually labeled as a hotel, even though all of their information came off as a marketing firm. But it said Company A Hotel or whatever. So that was a little suspect. But they've since changed that. So I'm guessing they found the error of their ways. Anyway. 
it says, you know, immediate hire, signing their their thing says sales and marketing associate slash immediate hire slash signing bonus. That's a lot of front loading right there, right? Like they're basically trying to say, hey, stop scrolling right now. If you want to be a sales and a marketing associate, we will hire you immediately and we will even give you money up front. So they're really trying to get you. No prior experience is needed. Um, they say acquiring new customers on behalf of our clients, which is what a marketer does, more or less. And in parentheses, they say only face-to-face -face interactions, no telemarketing, and no door-to-door. -door. So you're thinking, oh, cool, I'm not going to be like one of those billboards. But what they don't tell you is that, yes, you're a billboard, you just have to stand in a mall or a Walmart. Now, they say things like basic administration for sales, data entry, data collection, and account management, which is pretty false in my experience, unless they're talking about just the customer's data that you're putting into the iPad. I guess that counts as data entry, but that's pretty broad. You know, they say Monday through Friday with incentivized weekend work to allow flexible schedules. Now, I'm gonna take a I'm gonna take problem with that because they said that the official schedule was Monday through Friday from 10:30 to 7:30, and then on Saturdays they started I believe earlier at like nine o'clock, or they might have started still at 10:30, but you had to go until three o'clock, or if you met your sales goal for the day, you could leave early. So that's what they mean by incentivize weekend work. And I guess technically you could have come in at Sunday if you wanted and gone out and tried to make some sales. But again, that wasn't something that I had the ability to do and not really would have wanted to because I like my free time. These people didn't seem to like their free time. It seemed like their entire lives revolved around this one job because the way I heard of it is that at least pre-COVID, these people liked to once a week, you know, grab some grab some dinner together a couple of times a week grab drinks after work they also like to get together on saturdays and do fun you know company-wide activities like go go-karting or you know laser tag trampoline park escape rooms whatever and so basically they spend all their time together and then the time they're not supposed to spend together they spend it together it seems like a great family a great team environment which is how they advertise themselves we're like a marketing we're like a sports team that's what they said it's a very locker room attitude they kept using sports analogies and stuff because i guess they assume that sports will get anyone hooked into what they're selling anyway it was very very weird um what are some of the other things? They say they offer travel opportunities throughout North America. Now, that didn't matter to me because I don't really like to travel, one. And two, this is the middle of COVID, so no one's really traveling. But they said pre-COVID, they went to a bunch of network events, conferences, and team building trips, which, to their credit, I think they do. But I don't think it's like a company-wide thing, like, hey, guys, we're shutting down the office so that we can all go out to Texas and go to a conference. So the travel is kind of iffy, but I'm going to give them that. Continuous development and coaching for management. Again, coaching and development really have to be put in quotes because I wouldn't really call it development or coaching from anything that they did to me, unless you're saying coaching as in how to be a good salesman. 
um, which is not what I was looking for. I was looking for professional experience to do in the greater job world, whatever. Competitive play plus an uncapped bonus structure. I mean, it's it's commissions. That's all it is. Now, in some job fields, commissions are great because you can make a lot of money and do a bunch of hard work. And so the time you spend directly results in the amount of money you make. Whereas in a salary job, you can work your ass off and still only make X amount of money you know, per year because that's your flat rate salary or whatever. So yes, I guess you can say competitive play plus the uncapped bonus structure. Again, that's just how that's just how commissions work. So whatever. Team-oriented environment, sporting events, volunteer opportunities, team outings. Again, they're very team-oriented to the point where it's like we're spending 24 hours of our free time together with each other, which is weird. Performance-based advancements, opportunities. I mean, that's kind of how all, that's kind of how a lot of structures are, but especially in multi-level marketing and pyramid schemes, it's like, hey, you're doing very well, you're selling very well, so we're going to put you up to this next level so that you don't have to work as hard as the people below you. Whatever. Partnership and support from Fortune 100 client. Fortune 100, yes. Technically, you know, they they had the big list of all the clients that they had worked with, and there were some very big names on there. Again, we were working with something like Spectrum Internet and AT&T, and of course, they're one of the big internet service providers and one of the only ones in the country. So yes, they had partnership and support technically from these clients. So I will give them that, you know. Uh, so job requirements, even though they say no experience needed, customer service, sales, or marketing experience as a requirement. Excellent interpersonal communication skills, of course, being a salesman. Personal, ener- energetic, positive, and enjoy working with people daily. So, you know, a human being, preferably one who likes people. Uh, demonstrates leadership potential. Technically, everyone does, but not everyone. That's another weird thing. It's like we want everyone to be a leader in their own right, which is cool, I guess, but at the same time, you're only promoting one guy to be a leader. Anyway, excellent verbal and written communication. Anyone who has passed with a college degree can technically check off that box. And then they give you, you know, here's our website, here's our Facebook and LinkedIn and everything, equal opportunity, employer whatever and they say pay 600 to a thousand dollars per week and then they say additional compensation is things like commission and bonuses and they said they offer bonuses and they said later down the line once you start making big sales and everything then you could get gifts like awesome gift cards gift certificates um you know other free gifts tailored suits you know just more money or whatever Benefits, they just say the signing bonus, which we've already said, is not the same thing. So that's just some of the things you look at when you see their thing. So, you know, we will be hiring immediately, offering signing bonuses, as well as competitive pay packages, which include base salaries and uncapped commissions. We look forward to hearing, blah, blah, blah. You know, very, very excitable stuff that really is hammering on the fact that We are hiring immediately, and we will give you money if you sign up. Kind of weird, but okay. So, a couple of other observations I made while while I was there. First of all, the office has no furniture. 
Now, of course, it has furniture, but what I mean by that is that when you went into the office, you had a reception area, a desk for the receptionist, and a couple of chairs and couches for anyone waiting in the reception area. And then you walked down a small hall, and to your right were two offices. One of them belonged to the head of the company, and the other one belonged to the regional manager of the company. And they, of course, had desks and chairs in there, as well as their own little knickknacks. And then at the end of that hall, there was a conference room with a big conference table and a couch and TVs and whiteboards and everything that you would expect in a modernized-looking conference room. And then you got into the big main area where everyone would sort of meet and discuss things. Um, it wasn't a very big area. However, it um, had no chairs, no tables, no desks. It had a cabinet for really just free swag that... Spectrum provided with us, and it had a whiteboard. And at the very and at the very end of the office space was a tiny little kitchen, which no one really used. And there was a table in there where people could leave like their bags and stuff or whatever. So when I say no furniture, I mean very minimal furniture for the people, the amount of people that actually worked there. Um, another thing is that the walls were nice bright white freshly painted and of course you're thinking terry that's a weird nitpicky thing it's okay for them to have clean white walls yes but the founder of the company which remind you very nice man uh self-proclaimed self-made uh you know businessman very successful and everything has opened up offices all around the country with this marketing strategy of his he repeatedly told us the entire time I was there, do not touch my walls. He didn't say it in that threatening of a manner. He was a bit more coy about it, but he's like, I got, I only have a couple of rules. Rule number one, don't touch my walls. Don't stand, don't lean on the walls. Don't touch my walls. I like my nice pristine walls. Very weird, very control freaky, kind of nitpicky, whatever. Like, dude, it's a wall whatever me putting my hand on it doesn't mean anything unless the wall has literally been painted 10 seconds ago anyway there was that again there was the whole deceitful thing about the dress code how you needed to look business professional but then you had to wear spectrum stuff when you went actually went out and sold and i believe that's because they're trying to put on a front for potential clients to say Look at our amazing office. It's very nice and modern and everything. There's no furniture in the main area, but that's because everyone's go-getters who like to stand up and actually just read what's ever on the board while we give our pep talks. Uh, also, look at our beautiful white walls and everyone's in business suits and everything because we're real go-getters. Business casual is not a thing we as ascribe to because it's all about a state of mind, and so we're in a professional state of mind 24-7. Anyway, that was all there was. And now we're going to get to their business model here, which I'm going to describe as um, very weird uh, and I guess technically legal, but extremely deceitful. And this is how I came to the conclusion that it was more of a multi-level marketing kind of scam deal. Um, so the way he explained it is that once you got to the regional manager position, they would set you up with an office. You can pick your team and hire people. And then you're a completely separate entity. 
And we're thinking, well, wait a minute, doesn't that mean they're connected to you? They're just an off branch of you? It's like astroturfing in the corporate world? And he's like, no, they have no connection to us whatsoever. You never have to talk to me again. I'm like, then how does this work in your business model? What, what do you gain by making competitors in your field? And basically what he said is that by making competitors in this field, they end up working with the exact same clients that his company does. And when you do that, the client kind of can skim off some money off the top as sort of like a competition fee that then goes to him. And that's how he makes a good deal of money from the client as well. Not just by fulfilling the contracts from the backs of all the people who have to spend an incredible amount of time and effort to try and make, you know, money or whatever. But he also gets some money on the top just because he made some pe- he brought up some people and made himself a little shadow network that he could use to skim some more money from his clients. So again, not as far as I could tell, not illegal, but very, very deceitful in everything they did in the front that they put on and the way they marketed themselves, especially to the employees. Now, my final thoughts coming off of this was I worked with them for three days. Technically, I only spent the two days in the field standing in the Walmart. And so for about the time that I stood in that Walmart, I made zero money. I didn't get the signing bonus, I didn't get any training money, and I didn't make any sales or any commissions because of course not. I was unable to and I didn't have the skills to. So, uh, since the system did not allow me to make money and since I couldn't make any money, I basically concluded that I stood in a Walmart for approximately 12 hours over the course of two days and I made less money than the people working minimum wage in a Walmart. And... You know, those were the people that the boss was saying, you were going to be better than that. He didn't call them suckers, but he seems like the kind of guy who would be like, they're the suckers caught in the rat race while we're, we're, you know, we're taking the shortcuts. We're winning the game. We're gaming the system. Um, But I made no money compared to the people who actually worked in the Walmart for an hourly wage. So, you know... I don't think I came out on top compared to the people working at the Walmart. You know, again, thankfully, I was able to uh, look to the support of my family to help buy the professional wardrobe I needed for the job, even though I was only there three days. Um, Still get to use the wardrobe for other professional things, which is nice. Um, But, you know, if I were someone who didn't have a whole lot of money to their name, trying to find a job to, you know, help them get out of the rough times and then spend all that money on a professional wardrobe for a shitty job where you had to stand in a Walmart and try and sell internet to people in the middle of COVID, then, you know, that's, that can affect you a lot more than it affected me, which is kind of why I want to tell this story to as many people as who will hear it. Because I believe that everyone is getting taken advantage of. And for the people that actually stay on and sort of make something out of it, I just think that they definitely have more willpower uh, and more patience than I do. 
They're definitely cut from a different cloth, but I got the feeling that the people who had been there longer than all the fresh new faces kind of felt like they were in a cult, to be honest. And it was weird, and I didn't like it. Um, the, the whole thing just didn't feel right. And, you know, I had my doubts going into it, and I should have followed through with them, but again, I was desperate for a job. Um, but thankfully, I only wasted, you know, three days of my life on them, and then I was able to just recover and, you know, try to get back on my feet, which, looking back, is a small blessing, because now I have a nice job. Uh, hopefully, I get to keep it for a while and, you know, reap the benefits from that. But anyway, yes, that is sort of the story that happened this summer when I technically got my first job during COVID and how it was really just a pyramid scheme sham. So I hope you all enjoyed listening to this. It was great to just rant about something for a bit. Uh, It's great to curse too. I actually get to use the fucking explicit tag Um, which is nice. But yeah, it was nice to speak my mind about this. It is something that I'm still a bit heated on, but it's good to rant about it to the void because then, you know, maybe the void will scream back, hey, this happened to me too, which the idea for doing this episode at this time came from last week, a good friend of mine from college, Yane. She called me saying, I got to talk to you. And when I called her back, I was like, well, what's up? I haven't heard from you in a while. Uh, she just wanted to call and let me know that she had read the article about this very topic that I did on my LinkedIn page. And she said, I thought it was a great article and I just wanted to let you know that happened to me too in, I believe she said Michigan. Um, it was either Michigan or no Memphis. She was in Memphis. And she said, I just got out of an interview with these people who were basically peddling the same thing. And I wasn't letting them have it. I thought they were very deceitful and everything. And I told them I was not interested in the interview. And, you know, she vented to me and I vented to her. And basically, I was like, thank God that you were able to get out during the interview, whereas someone like me had to waste their time. And there are more unfortunate souls out there who are kind of chained to that job now. I was unable to keep in touch with any of the newcomers that had that I had orientated with for three days I was there. Of course, now we didn't have much time to get to know each other or exchange numbers or anything like that. And so for all I know, they still work there and they're still trapped there. And I hope that things are either going well for them or they knew to get out when they could. And hopefully, you know, sometime in the future, they can look back on and realize, man, that was a crappy pyramid scheme. And I don't want to get caught up in that again. So that's the that's the backstory behind why I wanted to do this story today. I also just wanted to rant and get some content out there for you guys to listen to. So thank you so much for listening to me rant about this. Remember, if you are applying for jobs anywhere, do a lot of research into the into the positions and the companies that you are doing. You know, look at the reviews if they have them on Indeed, Glassdoor, whatever search engine you use. You know, look look at the reviews, see what people say about stuff because, you know, some people say it can be very sexist. Other people can say 
it's a great job. Some people could say the job is great, but the people in charge are stupid or whatever. So it really helps to do your research. And, you know, at the end of the day, what I learned from this is not only do your due diligence on the things you're going, you're wanting to do with your life, but also, you know, take a step back and think to yourselves, what is it that I want out of my job, out of my career in life? For me, this made me think that I don't want to be a salesman. I don't want to sell people. I hate when people try to sell me something. So why would I try to make my life about trying to sell people something which I'm probably going to regret that hypocrisy when I try to sell a future book or something. I don't know. Anyway, but I don't I didn't want to be a salesman. I came to the conclusion that I wanted to make a living and to have a career where I could create things, put my ideas out there and that they can better the lives of people who view them. I think that's one of the great goals of any artist. Some artists do art for various different reasons. For me, that's what I want to do. I have all I want to use my ideas so that people can get enjoyment out of it and hopefully improve their lives from it for a little bit, you know. If it's just one, you know, one hit of serotonin from the things that happen, then that's good enough for me. So, that so that's that's everything I really learned from this experience. Do your homework and figure out actually what it is that you're wanting out of your job, your career, and your life and everything and how that all mixes and matches together and hopefully you will be able to find yourself in a place either in a job, internship, or long-term career where you're able to follow along with that plan. So... I hope that you guys uh, enjoyed hearing about this story and hearing me rant about it. I hope you guys, you know, took my warning to heart and that you're able to, you know, figure figure things out for yourselves and figure out what's best for, for you in the future and everything. And, you know, mostly I just want to say, you know, thank you all for listening Uh, Hopefully, I will be able to post a bit more frequently. But again, like I said, I got a new new job. Not really a 9 to 5, but almost as long. And, uh, you know, I'll try to figure out ways to to use my free time more constructively. And hopefully, I can keep doing this and keep giving you guys episodes. So one day, The Void will actually have a nice little number behind it. But anyway, I want to thank you guys for listening. Again, let me know if you want to, you know, just reach out to me. Let me know if you like the show or if you have a topic that you want me to hear about. I believe my Twitter is at RealTerryClark and then uh, TalksWithTerry at gmail.com. If you want to reach out to me and say, hey, I like this, I like this idea, like this show, or give me some criticism or if there are ideas for topics that you want me to cover, I'd be more than happy to do that. So thank you guys so much for listening. Hope you have a good day. Thank you for tuning in with Talks with Terry, and I will see you guys on the next episode.